something that used to come out of my mouth a lot when I was young, very young, um, was it's not fair. I don't know if any of you guys kind of relate to that. Maybe you still think it to this day. I must admit that I still do sometimes as well. Um, often, oh, it's, it's not fair. So growing up, I was the eldest sibling. I have a, a younger brother. He's three years younger than me. Uh, his name is Jesse. And I, I would say the first three years of my life were pretty pleasant. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He's all right, he's, he's, he's great, I love him. Um, but you can say it's not fair was, was a regular occurrence. Um, for, for an example, I had to wait a very long time until I was allowed to use a knife in my house. Uh, I, I waited, may, I, I don't know how old I was, but I definitely had to wait. And I remember the day that mum and dad were like, hey Ash, look, you, you've, you're responsible now, you know, you, you're getting older, here. You can, use, you can use a knife and you can cut your own steaks and things like that. I was like, yeah, I'm like winning at life, I can use a knife. My brother comes along, three years younger than me. Oh, can't I use a knife too, mum, please? Yeah, sure, honey, there you go. What, are you serious? I was like, that's not fair. I'm older than him. I, I had to prove my responsibility, yet he just gets to use the, the knife. The same thing happened with bedtimes, right? Bedtimes were a big thing. It was a privilege to stay up a little bit later. And I remember being about 13 years old and mum was like, hey, look, we've got something special. You get your bedtime now, 7.30. Yes, 7.30. All I did really was read books. I loved reading back then. Um, Wish I was still super into reading now, but yeah, loved reading. So 7.30 was awesome. It was an extra, maybe half an hour as to what I had previously. But that same day, maybe, maybe it was a week later. I'll give, I'll give mum and dad like a little bit of credit. Maybe it was about a week later. And Jesse has realised that I get a later bedtime. So he wants a later bedtime too. Fair enough, right? He, he also got older in that year. Except his bedtime was then put to 7.30 as well. It's <laughs> like, Give me a break. I don't know if you're an older sibling and, and you can relate to this in some way. I'm, I'm sure you can. It mostly, it, it does happen. Look, our parents are fantastic and they try really hard, but that was something when I was young that I really struggled with, this, this it's not fair kind of situation. So we're going to be reading today from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open, open them up there. Um, we're going through a series, as Dave mentioned, um, of parables, and parables are just stories that, not just stories, but they are stories that Jesus told uh, that we may learn something from them. So, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for a day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? 
because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when they came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of a day's work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Here we see another story that Jesus told. And this time, this parable is directed actually to his disciples, to the 12 that were following him. And the reason for Jesus telling this parable stemmed from an issue that he saw in Peter, who's one of his disciples, in Peter's heart. So earlier, Jesus had just finished telling a man a parable about leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. And Peter had heard this parable So after Peter heard it, he came back to Jesus and he said, well, Jesus, you know what? We've left everything to follow you. So what are we going to get because of this? Peter basically is saying, like, yeah, Jesus, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear you telling us to leave everything to follow you. We've done that. So what do we get out of it? You can practically hear Jesus just like face palm, right? He's like, Peter, come on. you're with me all the time, don't you understand? But Peter's looking for merit and for reward because of the sacrifice that he has made and the works that he has done in following Jesus. So that's why Jesus is telling this parable. Jesus starts here with saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. And this is actually a really good hint to help us to understand what he is trying to describe here. Jesus is, is giving a lesson on the activity of the kingdom in the world. So he's teaching his disciples about the character of God and subsequently the character that we should adopt when we enter the kingdom and are saved. So Jesus here is not teaching us about how we gain salvation or eternal life. He's not saying you must work in order to receive eternal life or salvation. Jesus is not saying that. He's also not teaching about our heavenly rewards because we know and we can see elsewhere in scripture that God will reward believers differently according to their service. So this parable is actually giving us an insight into what the kingdom of God should look like here on earth, what God's character is like and the character that we should then subsequently adopt. Jesus is describing harvest time when a landowner would hire seasonal workers to help with his harvest. And when he'd do that, he would go early to the marketplace where the labourers gathered, waiting for landowners to hire them. The working day back then was typically divided into three-hour increments between 6am and 6pm. So the landowner first went out at 6am to hire his first lot of workers. 
they were to work for the entire day, which was, um, which was normal back then, and he agreed to pay them the one denarius, which is an expected day's wage for uh, someone hired. At 9am, the landowner realised that he actually needed more workers. He had more work for them, so he went back to the marketplace and he found more people waiting for work, and he hired them, and he agreed to pay them whatever is right. And they, they would have expected, I, I, I um, expect, to receive a proportionate reduction of that one denarius, so a percentage of, of a day's wage. This then happened again at 12 noon, at 3 p.m. and at 5 p.m. So families in those days often lived day to day. They earned only enough, food, uh, only enough money for food for that particular day. So if they didn't find work, they wouldn't eat. And that's why they continued to wait in the marketplace all day. So at the end of the day, the foreman of the landowner would pay the wages, and that was also a normal thing that would happen. But in this story, this is when it starts to get shocking. Those who were hired last, those who were hired at 5 p.m., were paid a full day's wage. They were paid one denarius, which was the agreed-upon wage for the first people who were hired, so the people who worked a full day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So once they were paid, this then led the labourers who were hired first to expect that they would actually be getting more than the agreed-upon wage. They would receive more than one denarius that the other labourers had received because they'd worked longer than them. So when it came to their turn to be paid, and they received one denarius, the agreed-upon wage and also the wage that was paid for those who worked one hour, they were, they were like, what's going on? They, they were not thankful. They were not happy about it. Those hired first didn't believe that the others deserved equal treatment to them. They actually wanted to be unequal because that's what they thought was fair. They thought they were automatically entitled to more, that they deserved more, because they had worked more. Just like I thought when I was younger that I was entitled to a later bedtime because I was older, I had I'd lived for longer, whatever reason it was, I thought I deserved more. They compared themselves to others around them and this caused them to become envious and jealous, and it prevented them from being thankful for what they did actually received, receive. All they were focused on was themselves, and this actually prevented them and blocked them from being thankful for what they did receive. Their entitlement prevented them from being thankful. But I would hazard a guess when you heard this story, particularly if you heard it tonight for the first time, that you would have been thinking exactly the same thing. That it can't be fair to pay everyone the same amount when they work different hours. Think about this in your own life, in your own place of work, and imagine you know, you're working away, you're doing a hard day's of work, worth of work, and someone untrained, a trainee, whatever it might be, came along. You'd worked hard all day, they came, they worked one hour. And at the end of the day, 
you got paid the same amount that they did. I would imagine that you would be upset by this. You'd be like, you'd be feeling that it was unfair. You wouldn't believe, you would believe, sorry, that you were entitled to more because you worked more. Not that you think that your wage is unfair in and of itself, but because you are comparing yourself to the person who earned the same amount as you, and you are putting yourself on a higher level than them, you think you deserve more. You don't want to be equal to them because you think you are above them. And this could also be the same in university or in school. If you have one of those dreaded group assignments where you put in a group and you know you have that one person in your group that does no work. You put in, you guys put in all the work, a group of you put in all the work, and this person does nothing, right? And you have to pick up their slack. You have to do their work for you. They make the process super stressful for you. But then the day comes, you've submitted your assignment, and you get your grades back. And they get the same grade as you do. You feel robbed and cheated. You did way more work than them. You actually did their work for them, but they got the same grade as you. It's, it's not fair. It doesn't feel fair. But it's not that the grade that you got was particularly unfair. The grade that you got was probably what the group deserved. But because you're comparing yourself to the person who got the same mark as you but did less work, you, you feel like it's unfair. You feel like you deserve more. Guys, as a society, this way of living and this way of life is a very normal thing. We function on the basis that the work that we do should be recognised through a fitting reward. The re reward that we get should mirror and be an indicator of the work that we put in. And if you put in enough work and enough effort in your job, you expect in some way to be rewarded by that, whether through a pay rise or a promotion. And the same if you put in a lot of effort and work in your uni assignments, you expect that you should be getting a better mark for them. And it's not just this entitlement, this feeling that we deserve something, that's the issue, right? It is actually that we feel entitled to entitlement. We feel that we actually should be allowed to feel this way because this is the way society is working. It's just the, the way of life, right? It's the way things are. We feel entitled to entitlement. And this is inherently a human problem. It, it's an everyone problem. I know even, even today, I've felt this multiple times. If someone cuts me off in traffic, how dare they? If someone doesn't say thank you when I open the door for them, how dare they? They should say thank you, I deserve that. If they walk too slowly in the shops, hurry up, I've got somewhere to go, right? We have this sense of entitlement that is inherently in us. It is a human problem. We as a society believe that we are deserving of privileges or special treatments or rights. And, and it only kind of seems to be getting worse. I know that there are many people that I've spoken to and that I've had conversations with and conversations that I've overheard where our generation is being described as entitled. 
And there are many conversations I've had with people in our generation where we look at the younger generation, we see them with, with iPads and phones and things like that, and automatically we, we think that they are entitled, that they're spoiled. And having this posture of entitlement isn't doing us any good. Yes, it's the way society functions or seems to be functioning at the moment, but it isn't doing us any good. First of all, it means that we struggle with comparison. We always have to be looking to those that are left and right to our, of us, that are in front of us and behind us. We have to be looking at them and judging ourselves based on where we stand in comparison to them. Just like we said before, when the trainee rocks up to work, does less work than us, and then gets paid the same amount that we do, we, we start to actually doubt ourselves. We, we doubt our own self-worth because we are comparing ourselves to them. And this, this has to be true. This is true because if there was no comparison, if you weren't comparing yourselves to everyone else, there would be no entitlement. There would be no feeling of deserving something more than someone else because you wouldn't be comparing that. You wouldn't even get to that point. The other thing that this posture of entitlement is doing is it is hindering our ability to be thankful. Our wage might be fair. Our grade from that group assignment might actually be what we deserve. But once we start comparing that to the person who got the same wage or the same grade as us, and we think and believe that we are entitled to more, we can no longer be thankful for that grade or that job or whatever it is. We can no longer be, be thankful even for, for what that education is doing. We, we can't be thankful for our education. It, it smothers thankfulness. We are only concerned about our reward and whether that reward is good in comparison to others around us. And it strips us of our joy. It tells us that we are only worth as much as the work we do and the things that we produce. Entitlement is produced through comparison and it prevents thankfulness. And this is the same for our relationship with God. If we take up a posture of entitlement with God and if we look at those around us who are followers of Christ and we start comparing ourselves to each other, we, we start believing that we deserve more. Maybe we look to the person next to us and we think we worship more enthusiastically than they do. So we, in something, we deserve more. We might look and be, I don't, I don't sin like that. I don't struggle with that sin. I don't live my life that way, so I deserve more from God. And if we have this posture of entitlement, we actually cannot be thankful for God's generosity, for what he has given us, for what he has done for us. We, we lose that joy and that ability to be thankful. So going back to the, to the parable, there was something surprising about the landowner. In those days, it would have been custom to actually send out a hired hand 
to find the labourers for the marketplace so that landowner could, could stay and do whatever he was doing uh, in his own land. But instead, th this employer, he doesn't do that. He goes out himself, not once, not twice, but four times throughout that day to personally seek the workers. He really cares about those who, who had nothing. The other surprising thing is the fact that he wanted to pay them all equally. He wanted to give each one of the workers more than what they deserved. We saw, though, that the issue of the labourers who were hired first, that worked all day, they couldn't see this generosity. And they couldn't be thankful because their posture of entitlement was blinding them. They neglected to see and to understand that each one of them that day, each one of them, should have actually gone without work and without a wage and therefore without food. Not one of them was actually employed stably in a job somewhere. They were, they were all labourers looking for work. And on top of that, a day's wage was actually a large sum to pay someone that was untrained and unemployed. So each labourer that day, no matter when they were hired, were undeserving of getting that one denarius, the one day's work. Even though they thought they deserved more, those who, were hired, who worked the whole day, they thought they deserved more, they were actually already getting more than they normally would have expected if they were hired from somewhere else, someone else. The landowner was a generous employer who cared about the labourers and he wanted to bless them with this wage. He wanted to be generous and he wanted to pay them all equally. It didn't matter to him their status, their work hours or what they had done for him. He was generous and he paid them all equally despite them because his payment on, of their day's work wasn't about them. His payment to them wasn't about them. Instead, his payment for their day's work was actually a reflection of him. It was a reflection of the landowner, not the workers. And this is a good thing. It, it's, a good, it's good news for the labourers that all of them got what they didn't deserve because ultimately, all of them actually deserved, deserved nothing. None of them had stable jobs. They were all looking for work. And it was, it was a blessing to each of them that they got work that day. And that's because of the generous employer. For the workers who were hired last and paid first, those who only worked one hour, they knew themselves unworthy to be paid a day's wage. They understood that they fell short of working the entire day. They hadn't done as much as the others and they had, all, they had waited all day. They, by, by five o'clock you would expect, no, I'm not gonna get any work, right? There's only an hour left. Most of them would have gone home but they stayed, hoping that they would get some work, and they did. So they knew they were undeserving of it. And they knew they were undeserving of getting that day's wage, that they weren't entitled to that. So when they were paid generously, they were thankful. They would have celebrated and rejoiced with one another because 
of the generosity of the landowner, not because of anything they did, but, but because of the landowner. Their focus was not on themselves, it was on their employer. And they were able to be thankful because they understood that they were not entitled to the wage. They were able, able to be thankful because they understood that they were undeserving. On the other hand, we have those who were hired first, those who worked the whole day. And we, we know already, as we've discussed, that they had this posture of entitlement. They felt they deserved something because of the effort they put in. So when they were paid, they lost sight of the fact that they were still undeserving of a day's wage. And the response that they had because of that was one of grumbling, was unthankfulness. They didn't celebrate and rejoice over the generosity of the landowner. They were actually upset by it. They were upset that the landowner was generous. They also didn't celebrate and rejoice over the fact that there were others around them who could have gone with no food, who could have ended up not feeding their family that day and had nothing, but instead got to feed their families. They, they couldn't join in their rejoicing of that because they were so focused on themselves and the fact that they thought they were entitled to more. It was all about them. They didn't understand their own unworthiness and therefore they didn't grasp the generosity that was shown to them. And yet, the landowner didn't take away their pay because they were un ungrateful. He still paid them what he'd agreed to and what they didn't deserve. But they left that day with a very different attitude compared to those who understood the generosity that was shown to them. They left disappointed and ungrateful. All of them were equally undeserving of their wage, but all of them were paid equally because of the generosity of the landowner. And in the same way, we are all equally undeserving of God's grace. And yet, we are all given it equally because of the generosity of God. And the reason that we're all equally undeserving is because we all fall short. We, we all sin. We have hearts that are prone to deceive us, that are prone to this entitlement, to believing that we deserve something from God. We are all equally undeserving of grace, but luckily for, for us, God's generosity isn't, it's not about us. It's about him. Our length of service, our, our long hours of toil, they actually constitute no claim on God and they provide no reason why God should not be generous to those who in our eyes have maybe done less. The amount that we serve the, the good works that we do, the commandments that we keep, provide no reason why we deserve God's grace more than others. Society says that we have a right to get what we deserve, but we are actually called as followers of Christ to give up our rights, to hand over our entitlement when we lay down our lives to follow Christ. Our standing before God doesn't depend on human merit in any way whatsoever. 
Our standing before God depends only on the sheer, undeserved favour of God, who accepts those who could never be good enough. He accepts us who could never be good enough in order that his free grace may produce in genuinely good works. Dave Luthie, at the beginning of the year, uh, for those of you who were maybe here, he explained this well using the picture of a vending machine. So in order to get something from a vending machine, you've got you've to give it money. And the more money you give it, if you give it like $8, you might get two cans of Coke. So the more money you give it, <laughs> the, more, the more you get. $4 is actually a lot for a can of Coke. <laughs> I hope it's not that much, but yeah, you get the picture. Um, the more money you give it, the more you get out of it. Those who don't give any money to the vending machine, if you go up to the vending machine and you don't give it any money, it's not going to give you a can of Coke unless someone has paid earlier. But the truth is that, that we, we sometimes we see God like this, right? We, we see God like a vending machine. And this is what Dave was saying, that, that we believe that we need to go to God with something and the more that we give him, the more that he'll give us in return. But we actually all come before the vending machine with nothing. So we all come before God with nothing. But he generally, gener- generously gives us his grace and he does so regardless of us, regardless of our past, anything that we ever could do or, or will do. He does it because he is a generous God and he gives the grace equally. I remember as a kid, uh, we'd often, if we were holidaying up in Caloundra, we'd go to the roller dome, or roller dome, if you guys have ever been there. It was a fun little place. We went roller skating, um, had a good time. And at the roller dome, there were a couple of arcade games, you know, those good old, the claw machine, um, the air hockey table, and, and the whacker crocodile. Like, it wasn't whacker mole, it was whacker crocodile, and you'd have to you have to get them. Anyway, we, were, we weren't allowed to play these games, and that's okay. I was okay with that sometimes. Um, but it didn't stop me. Every time we went there, I would go up to each of these games, and I'd push all the buttons and, and wiggle the little dongle that made the claw machine go, just in case there was potentially some, some money left in there, and I'd get a free game. Anyway, one day we were there, and... I, as I'm walking past, I gave a little wiggle and I thought, no one's going to notice, I'll just give it a wiggle, and it moved. Oh, this was the best day ever. This was my sheer delight, right, my joy. And I thought, I said, Jesse, Jesse, come here, look, we can have a go at the claw machine. Mum and Dad, wait, we're not leaving yet, like, I've got to have a turn. And I, I was filled with so much joy. I didn't win anything from this claw machine because whoever does, I I really haven't heard of anyone actually winning something from the claw machine. I didn't win anything, but that that didn't matter to me because I I knew that I didn't deserve it because I I didn't pay for it. The thing that was actually brought me joy, the thing that I was thankful for, was simply the opportunity to play. And this should be our response to God. We don't deserve his grace. We haven't done anything or given him anything to earn it, and we never will. But he gives it to us as a gift, 
And this should lead us and move us to a posture of, of thankfulness. It would be different, I think, if I had paid for the claw machine, if I'd paid for it and then not won anything and not gotten anything out of it. I would have been upset and disappointed. I would have thought, oh, that's not fair. I put in this effort and, and this money, I invested in it, and it gave me nothing in return. I would have no longer been joyful. The, the actually playing the machine would have, would have lost its joy to me because I would have felt entitled to win. Nobody can claim deserved membership of the kingdom because we all come before God with nothing to offer him. There is no place for personal pride, for contempt or for jealousy. There is no ground for any of us to question how God generously handles the undeserving. When we have a posture of entitlement, we lose the joy of our salvation. We lose the joy of receiving the gift of grace. We lose sight of our unworthiness and we compare ourselves with others around us. We are all equally undeserving of grace. So there should be no comparison. And we need to be thankful. We should be thankful for what God has done for us. We have a generous God and he gifts his grace generously. But that, that joy that that should bring us has, has, has lost something. We, we lose that joy. We lose the joy of our salvation because we, are, we feel entitled. We have a God who gives generously. And to all who are willing to come before him, he'll give his grace equally, regardless of who you are or of what you've done. And this should fill us with overwhelming joy. And too often we lose sight of this. We've lost sight of the sheer scandal that this grace is because we have a posture of entitlement. And I know a lot of us would relate to this. You see new Christians often, and, and this is a generalisation, but often when you see new Christians, those who have just come to Christ and who have just received the good news of the gospel, and they've had their lives transformed and they're on fire for God, they understand and they remember their unworthiness and the miracle that it is to come before God broken and empty and to receive life. They're aware of the sheer undeserved gift of grace and it fills them with a thankfulness and a joy that overflows in so many areas of their life. They're often very passionate and very on fire for God. But more often than not, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've maybe lost some of that joy. And it's sad, it's actually sad how often we forget the joy of our salvation. It's like after you get a new phone or a new car, right? And it's, it's great for a couple of weeks. You're like, well, it's the best thing ever. You love it, you want to look at it, you want to tell people about it. And then it kind of gets a bit boring. It gets a bit same old. And you're no longer so thrilled about it. 
It's almost like we see the gospel, we see God's grace, we see our salvation the same way. And I pray that we never lose the joy of our salvation. And I I know through having conversations with a lot of you guys that this is not how you want to do your walk with Jesus. And I I want to encourage you in that. That is a good thing. And, And to be passionate and on fire for God, that we should be striving for that in our walk with Jesus. But so often we lose that fire, we lose that passion and we struggle to get it back. But if our issue as humans, if our barrier to this thankfulness, to this joy and this passion is a posture of entitlement, then we need to fight our posture of entitlement by actively taking up a posture of thankfulness. We can do this first of all by remembering what God has done for you. By remembering that we came before God with nothing. Nothing to offer us at all, nothing to offer at all, and he gave us far more than we deserve. Just like the laborers started with nothing, but the landowner was generous enough to hire them. We also need to remember what God did for us and remember that we offered nothing to that. When we do this, it will allow us to stop comparing ourselves to others. There is no comparison if we all started out the same way, sinful and in need of saving. That's as simple as it needs to be. None of us deserve God's grace and none of us are entitled to it, and this should lead us to a thankfulness for God's generosity. And and thankfulness is what guards us, it guards our hearts from a posture of entitlement, because we need to fight our posture of entitlement with a posture of thankfulness. Today is Grandparents' Day. For those of you who didn't know that, Maybe after you can send a little message to your grandparents to say, thanks for being my grandparents, love you. Um, Yeah, but today is Grandparents' Day. And when I think of my grandparents, I I look back at my life and, and what they've done for me, for the things that they have given me, the way they've loved me and supported me and lifted me up. When I think back to that, I'm thankful for them. I don't think back to that and go, yeah, I deserved that and I deserve more. I remember them. I I remember what they've done for me and I'm thankful to them. The other way that we can take up, actively take up this posture of thankfulness is simply by, wait for it, practicing thankfulness. It's by, by being thankful We can remember what God's done for us and we can remember that we are undeserving of that in in our heads, right? But our hearts are so prone to wander that that we kind of, we just forget what to do about it. I, so often, after hearing, hearing a word or hearing a message, I leave the building and I've forgotten because we can know things in our, in our heads, but to move that to our hearts and to, then to actively do something about that, that that's another, that's a whole other thing. So we need to practice actively being thankful. Not just know to be thankful, we need to practice it. 
So we need to make being thankful a part of our daily routine. It should be ingrained in us. And I think there are a couple of really good ways that we could do this. The first way that you could do this is by finding someone in your life who you trust, someone who loves the Lord, someone who you look up to, maybe a mentor in some way, or someone that will keep you accountable, and tell them that you plan or that that you want to be more thankful in your life, that you realise that that this thankfulness is actually, you're struggling to be thankful because you have a posture of entitlement. Let them know that and, and ask them to keep you accountable to that. Get them to be checking in on you and to be reminding you throughout the week. Another way you could do that, or do practice being thankful, is by setting some reminders on your phone. You know, little reminders that pop up throughout the day, a couple of times a day, that just say, like, thankful even. And if you know what that means, you can then spend some time in prayer being thankful for what God's done for you. Thank him for something. So I'll invite the worship team back up now. This week, I, I want to challenge you guys on something. And I'm going to join you. So you guys, I, you guys can actually keep me accountable to this. Message me throughout the week, hey, Ash, have you done this? And well, I'll be honest with you. I, like want that accountability, right? It it is a really good thing. So I want to challenge you guys with me, alongside me, that every hour of every day, and and if you're like, whoa, that's a lot, thankfulness needs to be ingrained in us. It needs to become a part of us. So I would actually argue that it's not a lot compared to how often we should be remembering God and being thankful. But every hour of every day, when you're awake, when you're asleep, obviously, it's a bit different. But pray, thank God for something that you have in your life. It could even be when you wake up, thanks God that I woke up this morning. Could could be raining, thank you God for the rain. Thank you that, that you give us this source of life. Thank you God for for my bed. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you for my car. Thank you that I got to work safely this morning. Thank you that I have a job. You know, all, all, these, all these things that we can be thankful to God for. And I challenge you hourly to actively and intentionally, not just a little, yeah, yeah thanks, God. Yep, done, tick, right? Because we're not doing this to tick boxes. We're doing this because of what God's already done for us. So there's no point... No point just ticking boxes. But every hour, thank God for something. When we take up this posture of thankfulness, it is an active acknowledgement that we did not deserve or earn whatever it was that we were thankful for. Thank you, God, for the sun. We didn't deserve or earn the sun. We didn't do anything to make the sun. God did that. So thank you, God, for the sun. It actively acknowledges our undeservedness and it fights, it smothers our entitlement. The more thankful we can be, the more it smothers that entitlement. It takes our eyes off ourselves and it turns them to God. And being thankful allows us to fight 
entitlement and it will bring us to an increasing passion and a fire for God. It will renew the joy of our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for grace. We thank you that that we come before you with, with nothing, that we can't earn this and therefore there is no comparison in your kingdom. And Father, we, we want to acknowledge that this posture of entitlement is inherently something that we all, we all have, we all struggle with in some way. And Lord, we pray that you will actually help us by your spirit to take up a posture of thankfulness and to fight entitlement, God. Because we know that doing this on our, on our own human merit it is never, is never going to work. We need your help in this, God. So Holy Spirit, join with us as we collectively take up a posture of thankfulness. And yeah, Lord, we, we, do, we do just thank you for who you are and, and, and for the joy of our salvation, Lord. Amen.